Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hi there, it's Laura Wasser. And if anyone knows how much divorce sucks, it's me. I've been practicing family law for over 20 years, and I've worked on thousands of divorces. Creating peace in families is how I lost my voice. From the top of the food chain all the way down to my very first case, which was my own divorce when I was 25. I wrote the book on divorce, or I wrote a book on divorce. It's called It Doesn't Have to Be That Way, How to Divorce Without Destroying Your Family or Bankrupting Yourself. That book became a bestseller because it presented another option for ending a marriage, one that doesn't necessarily include lawyers and one that leaves more money in both parties' bank accounts and less animosity in their hearts. We created It's Over Easy, the one-stop breakup divorce resource online with the same principles in mind. So welcome to the Divorce Sucks podcast, where we talk about breaking up, getting divorced, and moving on. Hi, I'm Laura Wasser. Joining us today on Divorce Sucks is my friend Sean Gold, one of the most clever, funny, and stylish people I know. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thanks for having me, Laura. It's great to be here with the legend of family law. (laughs) The reason I invited Sean here today is because of his keen insight into relationships. He's written several books on relationships, and they include The Guide to Laughing at Sex, The Guide to Laughing at Love, and The Guide to Laughing at Family. Sean is living proof that laughter, and humor for that matter, are vital to relationships. He's been married to the same woman for over 20 years. Hi, Amy. As you know, I am a family law attorney who specializes in representing people who are getting divorced, and our new website, It's Over Easy, helps couples get divorced without having to hire an attorney. This episode of Divorce Sucks is about humor and perspective. So, you're a funny guy, Sean. Do you think humor is the secret to a successful long-term relationship? Well, my books are focused around laughter and their collection of insightful observations that poignantly make light of the issues associated with love and sex and family. So, while humor holds the truth, things that are funny are usually true things. So, it allows us... Humor is one of the most portable, shareable ways to package the truth. So it's a great way to communicate and a fun way to communicate. That said, uh, you have to be careful not to use humor as a deflection to not deal with issues. If humor was everything, uh, had everything to do with the relationships, comedians would make the best uh, <laughs> husbands. And we know that's probably not true. That may not be the case. No, I, I mean, I agree with you. And there is also... I mean, again, not to use it as a deflection, but I find a lot in my field, we get into the kind of a gallows humor, and if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger, Mm -hmm. and maybe you can laugh it off. Yeah, it's like humor in a relationship works as like the pressure valve. Yes. When things get stressful, a little humor opens things up, and people can relax, laugh at themselves. Super important. And I find that with my clients, and even when I was writing, it doesn't have to be that way. I really want to educate people considering a divorce about the ways to keep more money in their bank account and how to avoid destroying their families in the process of ending their marriage. Humor definitely helped. One of the opening scenarios in the book is a client of mine who um, is a drummer in a band. Oh, no, actually, I think he was the bass player. In any event, I called him one morning because he had just received his wife's counteroffer to our settlement proposal, and it was relatively early, and when I was on the phone with him, I could hear him like that sound that you're probably familiar with. And I said, well, dude, are you taking a bong hit right now? 
And there was this pause, and then I heard, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you can't take a bong hit when you're on the phone with your divorce attorney. And he very wisely said, well, what better time is there to take a bong hit? And he was right, and we kind of moved through the conversation. And he's, his wake and bake really helped him get through it. Now, obviously, I wouldn't recommend anybody signing legal documents uh-huh. when you're no. intoxicated or high, but certainly those things can take the edge off, not just the smoking of pot, but the humor around the issues that may be rather painful or frightening. For sure. <laughs> it's also a more pliable way for people to hear the truth and take it in. Absolutely. One of the things that makes It's Over Easy unique is our perspective on breaking up and getting divorced. Divorce is serious business, but seeing humor in your situation can help you get through what may seem like the worst time of your life. When I put together my book, um, the way you use the book, and I'm not for a second suggesting that you buy this book. They're like 49 cents on Amazon at this point. Didn't you send me this book? Oh, Oh, you mean for our listeners. You should all buy this book. It's really freaking funny. It's... (laughs) Yeah. Um, so if you look, you look up a, a subject that people are concerned with and you get poignantly witty perspective, a perspective that puts your problem, your relationship problems in, in frame. And so if you look, you know, sex in marriage is, is, is usually an issue. So uh, they say more divorces start in the bedroom than any other room in the house. Would you say that's true? No. By the way? Oh, Okay. So that <laughs> I wouldn't. I think that that generally is the result of some other issues, often financial issues, and then it moves to the bedroom. Of course, if you're in the bedroom with somebody else besides your spouse, ah, that can definitely that, be the cause of yes. divorce. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, this particular one, I'm talking about having <laughs> issues with your husband. Right. So, you look up, and there would be like several quotes from cynic to optimist, and one might be. Um, uh, they say the best exercise takes place in the bedroom. I believe it because that's where I get the most resistance. <laughs> I, yeah, it's a little schmaltzy, but it's a way to kind of bring up issues and kind of deal with issues and laugh at yourself and let, know that lots of other people are dealing with this. So one that really helped me was thinking, you know, I read once that like sex after you're married, sex is like a kite that will only fly when you run with it. Mm. And I was like, yeah, all right. I just need to get, get some air under that kite. <laughs> I need to get some mileage. I need to get that kite up. There's something funny, ironic, sardonic, or laconic in almost everything, depending on your perspective. Today's show is about having a sense of humor and being able to shift your perspective to see what's funny about even sometimes unfunny situations. If you can't find something funny in your own life, just turn on the news or look at your Twitter feed. Try searching something political like POTUS or G7. Perhaps something in that realm might make some of you chuckle if you're not weeping. My kids got out of school last week. We're, we're now on summer break. And it's very interesting to see a child's perspective on summer vacation because my 8-year-old uh, finished second grade on Wednesday and my 13-year-old finished seventh grade on Thursday And both of them were completely surprised when they heard that I don't really have a two-month summer vacation from my work. They thought, they said, well, when when is your summer vacation? So, again, um, being a single mom definitely has its ups and downs. But without my sense of humor, I don't know how I'd make it through the day. Um, As Bette Midler once said, fuck them if they can't take a joke. 
Today's show is about shifting your perspective and fine-tuning your sense of humor to get you to the next chapter. And we have Sean Gold in my office today. Sean Gold is the chief marketing officer of the fashion company Textile Fashion Group. His brands include Fabletics, Shoe Dazzle, Just Fab, and a new lingerie brand called Savage X Lingerie, a partnership with Rihanna. In addition to authoring three books about relationships, Sean also is the former relationship advice columnist for L.com's Ask Michael. Why Ask Michael? Why not just ask Sean, Sean? (laughs) Well, when I first started writing, L was published out of Paris, France, so... The name Sean, S-H-A-W-N, didn't really work as an international name. They wouldn't know you were a man? Yeah, they wouldn't. That was one of the, that was one of the aspects. And um, I was writing, my advice I was writing was a man's perspective on relationships for women to understand men. Um, and also, I was president of a public company at that time, and I really didn't want to mix the two things Relationship advice, <laughs> talking about sex, and reporting you know, and, to the SEC. And your cap table. Yes, I can understand that. Um, what did you learn from writing this column from a woman's perspective? I'm sure you got a lot of feedback. I mean, tell our female listeners how, through that experience, how we women can use a guy's perspective to our advantage. Well, an example, one example I remember writing about was... Um, a woman coming to a guy with with a problem and how they're both looking at it from a different perspective. So the woman tells the guy's problem, and the guy's like, all right, I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to give her the answer. It's going to be great. I'm going to be a hero. Sorry, just <laughs> rewind a little bit. Okay. So the woman, the woman comes to the guy with a problem and says, and the guy's thinking, I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to be a hero in this situation. And she's listening, and, and, and he comes, and he just offers solutions. And the woman's getting mad at him because what she wants him to do is share her pain and her experience of the problem and not necessarily solve it. She can probably solve the problem herself. She wants to share the problem. So for her to understand what the guy's motivation is really helps just communication right. excel. And that, that was just one example. I mean, there's... No, that's... You know, it's really funny, and you're going to laugh at this because Matt and I always joke around yeah. that, like, I'm the man in our, in our relationship a lot of times. And whenever he tells me something, it's not even a problem. He'll just share something with me, and then he, like, watch... He goes, look, I'm looking at you right now, and I can see the wheels. There's nothing for you to fix or solve here. Just stop. I'm <laughs> just telling you something that happened to me. You don't need to fix that's it. Funny. You don't need to solve it. So, yeah, I do. I find that often... Often one party or the other, and often it's the male, will kind of be the fixer, the person that comes in and tries to, again, not even knowing consciously that he's trying to be the hero, but just to want to be the hero, to want to fix it, to want to solve it, when really all she wants is a little bit of commiseration. Yeah. In terms of sexual stuff, what did you learn from being Ask Michael? Um, Well, I learned a lot about, you know, the difference between, you know, what men – how men and women perceive sex. You know, they say a man um, reaches a sexual peak at 18 and a woman reaches hers at 35. But I think what they're actually talking about is minutes. (laughs) 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 Because, you know, uh, the first time I had sex with someone, I got a... Besides yourself? Besides myself, (laughs) exactly. I had sex with myself so much that I was like, I'm going to make this last as long as I possibly can. And I just like 
smelled this woman for five minutes, you know, before I did anything else. And and I ended up getting a thank you note from her. Really? It was. I don't think I've gotten one since, but <laughs> um, it was because I I was so interested. I just took my time. I, you know, obviously I heated things up and right. slowly, and I listened to her, where a lot of men don't really understand that. They don't understand that sex is a lot about right. listening and, and understanding and taking your time. Safe to assume you were not 18 for this experience? I was not 18. So speaking of sex for one more moment, have you had any Me Too moments over the last year or so? Has this affected your life in any way, both either personally or with friends of yours? Is this something that's come up? Any Me Too moments? Yes. Was like someone slapped my ass and... Or somebody accused you? I mean, are you living in fear like many oh, of the professional well, men know. I knew, particularly in the fashion industry? I mean, I'm just curious because mm. I've spoken with many of my male friends about it, and you and I have not had this conversation yeah. yet. How has this affected you, if at all? It's made guys like me actually look much more interesting because I've been – I've almost been – you know, I've always – I've been very respectful of women for my whole – life I when I was 22 I dated this 35 year old feminist who just schooled me on women and what they're about and just issues she was active in national organization for women and a lot really allowed me also to debate and learn about the issues of feminism and and really understand that a feminist movement is impossible without a men's movement behind it men are raised to be a certain way and and they, some of those things need to change. There was a, I was at this Me Too discussion. Um, in the discussion was the woman, uh, well, I forgot her name, but she successfully accused Bill O'Reilly. And there was another woman who was ran um, Ryan Seacrest's um, organization. And someone asked if, um, if they thought this was just a fad and it would blow over. And having young boys mm-hmm. it immediately hit me that this is not a fad because i've had to discuss this with them and i've had to talk about what's going on and what the movement's about and harvey weinstein and all that stuff because these days everyone is and the whole family is bombarded with the news right and the fact teaching them about this moment this teaching moment um is great for a new generation and i think we are moving we've made a lot of progress in the last 25 years and we'll make a much more progress in the next coming 25 i hope so mm-hmm. it's interesting i was on an i was on somebody else's show the other day and there was a woman speaking about something called idiosyncratic masturbatory syndrome which is when hmm. people generally men masturbate so much and so often that when it comes time to having sex with a real person, they're unable to orgasm because they've gotten it kind of down to a thing uh-huh. with themselves and then having a different – and also maybe because they orgasm so often that maybe there's just not an orgasm really left in them. And how particularly paired with the porn industry, that's really uh-huh. causing problems in people's relationships. Have you or did you, when you were writing that column, encounter – people, women who said either I feel that my spouse or partner is masturbating so much that he can't orgasm, he actually takes too long instead of taking too short of a period of time and just pleasuring himself, or 
fold into it if you want how porn mm-hmm. or strip clubs or other mm-hmm. things that have much more come along during our generation than our parents in terms of regularity and acceptance have affected people's bedroom behavior, so to speak. Yeah, well, the internet wasn't so internet porn wasn't so prevalent uh, when I was writing this column, but masturbation sure was uh, a, a big habit. So um, I think, and porn was certainly around. I definitely got lots of letters about um, women who were who were jealous of porn. Right. They thought it was a substitution. They thought that they weren't loved because of it, and. A lot of that was really for, for the me helping the woman was framing how detached men are with sex, right. and how it's easier and it 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 actually can bring it can it can bring you know, fulfillment to your relationship. You want to talk about what he's thinking, what he's fantasizing about, and you know why he does it, and like almost anything in relationships, you know what you can't communicate runs your life, and. That's probably the best relationship advice of all the advice I've ever given in my life. Um, it's about dealing with things and surfacing things. When you marry someone, you know you marry who they really are. Right. I mean, it's a little bit of what you want them to be, but you need so you need to communicate and through. And there's going to be tons of things you discover about this person months or years later that weren't who you thought they were. And um, it could, this could be great surprises. They don't have to be negative. But if, and they come through communicating and understanding where they're coming from. And I imagine some of those things aren't even who that person thought they were. Like maybe they're discovering things about themselves as well. And that's why if couples can kind of grow and evolve and discover each other through communication, they're much more likely to stay together. I think so. I think so. That's a very salient point. What I often counsel people is if you were not able or not successful in terms of that communication and evolution during your relationship, and that's kind of caused a breakup, um, maybe you can be more successful in your post-marriage, post-dissolution relationship, particularly if if Mm -hmm. you have kids. And so since Divorce Sucks isn't just a fact— It's also the name of this podcast. It's true. We talk about breaking up with people on the show, but we also believe that the best is yet to come. We say a divorce is an ending and a beginning of the next chapter of your life, and it's up to you where you focus your energy, not only with your ex in terms of partnerships and co-parenting, but in terms of kind of starting over again. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a great, fresh new start. Um, When I've always been fascinated with relationships and happiness. I know. <laughs> yeah. So on my 30th birthday, I was I was on mushrooms and I remember someone saying to me, "Oh, you're 30. Are you happy?" And I was like, it blew my mind because I didn't know if I was happy. And there was this was before all that happiness research came out from Harvard and Yale and and now everyone's talking about gratitude and all those wonderful things, but I didn't know. So at the time, I had to create my own barometer for happiness. And it was this five-point barometer. So I was like, anytime someone asks me if I'm happy, I'm going to go through the checklist. And the, the different points were health, love, family, friendship, and work. Any particular order to this? You know, the thing about those things is they change. Okay. They all change based on where you are in your life. Health is clearly always number one. Right. But if you don't have it, I mean, it, you push it. If you have it, you don't think about it. Right. And you push it to the past. Love is probably going to be a big issue when you're getting 
going through a divorce. But the thing about the barometer was it wasn't about having fulfillment in all those things. It was about moving forward in a positive direction in all those aspects, in love, health, family, uh, and friendship and work. So when you're in a divorce, it feels like life sucks and it feels like love sucks, but it's, it really actually doesn't because you're making a huge step to go forward and make your life better when it comes to love. Just because it doesn't feel good that moment doesn't mean you shouldn't be happy about it. Right. You should be happy about the fact that you're going through this pain to get to the next level. Taking action, not stagnating. Yeah. I agree. Just so that you guys have it, you listeners. It's health, love, family, friendship, and work. That's the, that's the Sean five-point barometer scale of happiness. I overheard someone say this. I was going to wake up early and go do yoga this morning, but then I remembered that I'm not going to do that. I'm Sean Gold. I'm head of marketing for Textile Fashion Group with brands Fabletics, Savage X by Rihanna, Shoe Dazzle, and Just Fab. In my free time, I like to share things I overhear uh, that poignantly make light of life. During the launch of It's Over Easy in January, I met a 26-year-old woman contemplating saying goodbye to her starter marriage. And now she's using It's Over Easy to get divorced. And we had a very similar conversation in terms of the checklist of items and categories in which she wasn't quite fulfilled and wanted to kind of move on and move through to get to the next step. I believe in love and romance, but I'm not totally sure that most people are cut out for monogamy, to be married for the rest of their lives. Again, if we were back when marriage began as an institution and you got married in your teens and died in your 30s, then certainly till death do us part makes a little bit more sense. But when we're living till 90, that's a long time for most people. And those of you who have found each other and are blissfully happy, God bless you. But I definitely think that most people, as we change and grow and evolve, often grow in a different direction from our spouse. Yeah, I, a couple things on that. I mean, some you know, some people think that uh, certainly that monogamous and monotonous are <laughs> synonymous, <laughs> for sure. I can see that even as a happily married man. There's a really funny Russell Brand quote that he says, um, "If you're a monk, you're not allowed to have sex with anyone your entire life. If you're married, you can have sex with one person." So basically, married people get to have sex with one more person <laughs> than a monk. That doesn't sound very exciting. No, but you have to get it all out of your system before you get married. And then you have all these you know, new polyamorous things going on here, multiple love, more than just sex, multiple loving relationships. Are you seeing much of that come through this office? I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I wish I were. I mean, I'm seeing some you know, more than one sexual relationship taking place, but it's usually not authorized when it's happening, if you know what mm -hmm, I mean. Mm -hmm. My own open relationship. The story was she she was she thought she was in love with someone else. And I have gave her permission to pursue the relationship. Once I, I, I knew it wasn't gonna work out, it just didn't make sense. But I knew she was also unhappy. And I saw she was opening up in ways I hadn't seen. So I was like, you know what, I want to give you permission to pursue this relationship. And hopefully you can evolve and bring that back to our relationship. And at the same time, I'm going to remember what it was to be like, what it felt like to be liked by someone I was with. Yeah. And then it worked out. 
you know, trust can be rebuilt. And so that's all. There's that's a podcast a there. Podcast. Trust. Rebuilding trust. Trust and, and again, looking at things from a different perspective. Yeah. So in that particular situation, I was, I was hurt. You know, when I found out about this, it's a natural reaction. But then I got high and I tried to detach myself from the situation. I asked myself, what advice would you give you myself if you felt like you didn't own her vagina? Or what advice would you give her if you were just her friend right now? And I ran through different scenarios. And that's how I got to, you know, you should probably pursue this relationship you're reading, like, about tantric sex. Like, I couldn't even get you to talk about it. Now you're reading books about it. Like, great. But and do you feel overall that it was a plus for your marriage? Yeah. Like, if you could take it back, would you? Or would you still have gone through that to get to where you are today? I would still go through it. All You know, the most anything that... It, it's the sum of the it's, parts. It's the difficult, well, it's also, like, the, the hard things that make relationships better. Yeah. You know, going through things, dealing with stuff. It makes you stronger. I often say that having kids made our relationship stronger because before that, we never had a mutual enemy. (laughs) 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 So That's, that's the beauty of second relationship. No, we're not seeing too much of that here. I think that might be, you know, most of our clients are a little bit older. And on It's Over Easy, we don't actually ask that question. So <laughs> although maybe we should incorporate that into the website just for our own curiosity purposes. No, but for the most part, we are really seeing people, if, if nothing else, marrying later in life and therefore not having to convert to one more than monkism until they've already had several sexual experiences. I mean, yeah. Uh, open relationships. I don't. I don't know a lot of open relationships of my friends, but I, I know a couple that are ajar. Um, and I think it's fine as long as everyone's participating and there's communication through it. Um, it seems really difficult, but really difficult. Yeah. And particularly on an ongoing basis, I feel like. I mean, I can imagine having a period where people get, like, their 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 free hall pass or something like that, and then you come back. But to kind of continue that seems extremely confusing may not be the best word, but it just seems like your priorities may get a little bit gray area. And I feel like we have a hard enough time communicating as it is with just our spouse and keeping those lines open to then have to bring another person into the mix to have that same kind of consideration for and communication with. I don't know. I, that's, that, that's, a, that, that's above my pay grade. Call I think. me conservative. <laughs> Which I, I never would call you conservative. I mean, monogamy takes work and compromise. And the only reason to make all that fuss is for love. Do you agree? I, I agree. I agree. Love is a wonderful thing, but as long as it's blind, you'll always have a job, Laura. <laughs> you know, with my guy friends who come to me for advice and thinking about, again, the ones who are, um, well, both ones who are striking out on a new relationship after a divorce or even just looking for the right partner to marry. Um, I always, for a long time, I've, I'd, I've given them this advice. I was like, if she was a guy, would you be friends with her? I asked that question. And then I also asked, do you see your unborn children in her eyes? And for the first one, 
you need to be friends with your partner. You need to be partners in life. You need to laugh. You need to communicate. And you need to respect each other. As I, you know, I said before, you know, what you can't communicate runs your life. And most marriages fall apart based on what you don't discuss, not what you are discussing. Right. Um, the, you're going to have, you know, over a five-year period, you're probably going to have about 5,000 meals with this person you're with. So you better like the way they chew. Right. You know, and that goes with if she was a guy, would you be friends with her? You're going to have to have a lot of chit chat, a lot of dinner conversation, breakfast conversation. And that's what marriage, that's what marriage or any long term relationship is really about. I agree. Once someone goes through a divorce, they rarely make the exact same oh, mistake the second time around. Can I interrupt for yes. one second? Yes. The second part is also important. Oh, the kids. The, no, the, uh, yeah. Do you see your unborn children in her, in her eyes? And it's not about having children, it's about that certain. You know, the best part of love is the irrational stuff. You know, if you're, you know, it, it's the stuff that's magical that, you know, that certain uh, je ne sais quoi, the stuff that, that, that makes you, you know, turns your stomach, you know, when you think about it. Chemistry. The chemistry. So you want that. You definitely want that. There's a saying, you know, those who are rational about love are incapable of it. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I like the romantic aspect of it. You need a little bit of irrational with the rational to make a great relationship work. When you say, when you look at her, do you see your unborn children in her eyes? For those of us who are no longer procreating, who have already had our kids, or for those of us who may not actually be having unborn children together, like same-sex couples... How does that still apply? Was what you were saying about kind of the irrational and the the chemical um, connection? Does that still apply for 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 us? Yeah. Well, it's not really literally about seeing your unborn children in their eyes. It's about seeing. It's about feeling the irrational, romantic part of love that you know just kind of gives you butterflies when you see that person. Got it. And. You know, they're saying that those who are rational about love are incapable of it. Uh, I, I don't think that's a great way to enter into a marriage. <laughs> but you, as long as, a, along with a great friendship, you really want to feel like there's just no other person you want to be with. And, of course, that, that irrational feeling of love. Got it. Once somebody goes through a divorce, and I know you have plenty of friends who have been through divorces, do you believe things are better the next time around? I mean, do people not usually make the same mistake twice? <laughs> That's funny. It's like this is a funny analogy. Like the first time you buy a house, you're more emotional. You're focused on how good the paint looks. And the second time, you check for termites in the basement. <laughs> and that's like the first thing you look for. And it's kind of the same with men and women. Um, you, you're not going to make the same mistake twice. And you're going to say, he didn't want to watch, you know, he didn't like old black and white movies. I'm looking for someone who likes old black and white movies. So you're probably going to not make that same mistake twice, but you're open to a whole level of, you know, new mistakes. Right. Um, I believe that you'll always find someone who feels better to love because you evolve as a human being. And five years later or whatever the time is, you'll meet someone who's probably better for you at that time. And you'll look back on your old relationship and say, oh, wow, that, that wouldn't even work right now. Not that that relationship couldn't have evolved to that point if you were together, but 
nature and uh, time does a unique thing of allowing us to see ourselves as an evolved person within a new relationship that makes more sense for who you are at that moment. Yeah, I get it. I definitely have friends that like say to me, how was I ever married to him? How did you let that happen? And I say, well, at the time, that was a very good person for you. I don't know what happened since then. I like the idea, though, that we kind of co-create our own reality. And I do believe people come into our lives when the timing is right. Sean Gold is a good friend and a dynamic marketing executive who's responsible for marketing some of today's hottest fashion brands, including a new lingerie brand called Savage X Lingerie with Rihanna. He is also the author of three books on relationships, including The Guide to Laughing at Love, The Guide to Laughing at Sex, and The Guide to Laughing at Family. But for fun, I like to comment on relationships and share ironic truths about life. You can catch some of those at on at Sean Gold on Twitter and at Sean Gold on Instagram, and that's S H A W N G O L D. To give you a couple observations, I usually share them in the form of overheard, and I've been doing it for about seven years. Here's a couple. As a general rule, it's okay to laugh during sex, just don't point. <laughs> that would be rude. And then. Um, by the way, we're not having sex. I just was laughing. Oh. <laughs> Sometimes I like to think my dad is looking down from heaven and smiling, but he's actually at an Indian casino with his new wife. Overheard. Pretty sure I know what my wife's getting me for my birthday, because when I guess the three-way, she got all angry like I ruined the surprise. I also overheard a couple. someone saying, Is that your dog? She's beautiful. And the other person said, thank you, no, actually, she's adopted. Unfortunately, my wife and I were unable to conceive a dog naturally. (laughs) Overheard, I think I overheard this in my own house. If you've never dug a food label out of the trash to prove a point, you're probably not married. We actually have a question now from our Instagram feed. Um, Our questioner uh, would prefer to remain anonymous, but he or she says... Sean, based on your experience writing the guides to laughing at love, sex, and family, what would be your topics in a guide to laughing at divorce? Well, the guide to laughing at love has a section on divorce, and there's probably eight different little chapters on, um, I'm trying to recall, but certainly alimony is one of them. Because if you can laugh at that, you can laugh at anything. <laughs> I think in the alimony section, there's, a, there's some, an observation that uh, alimony is disinterest compounded monthly. <laughs> or, well, rather, <laughs> I actually read this one. This was funny. Robin Williams has something about divorce is Latin from for divorcium, which uh, means like having your testicles ripped out through your wallet <laughs> or some, something of that nature. The uh, and then there's getting over it, there's finding it, finding someone new, the secrets to a good marriage. I think the last quote in the book, the last section is secrets to a good marriage. And the last quote is, the secret to a great marriage remains a secret. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> My wife says I'm self-absorbed. So I'm going to take a long, hard look at myself. It's that time of the show where we do the four interrogatories. I already know the answer to one of these because you're married to my friend Amy, but let's do the other ones. The three interrogatories. What's your favorite breakup song, Sean? 
I like Desperado by the Eagles. And the reason I like that is because it, it reminds me that after a breakup, the desperation is the worst cologne. Like, and I'm like, you do not want to be desperate. You do not want to talk about your, you know, wallow in the woes of your previous relationship with some potential new partner or person or random person in the bar. Like, it's just, it's not attractive, and they're not going to meet the best you, which right. is what you want to put forward. Totally agree. What would you say to, see, to cheer someone up who was going through a breakup? You know, a friend of ours uh, was going through a breakup, and he was coming to me saying, like, everyone is, you know, when you, get, when you obviously go through a breakup, you have two sides of the story and a lot of the same friends. So people are both telling their side of the story, and he was worried about his reputation and what people thought of him. And, and I, as I, you know, I, I said this, there's basically the only thing you can possibly do in that situ- situation is be awesome. Be an awesome ex-husband. Be an awesome parent. There's going to be a lot of allegations flying. You've got to rise above it. It's like worry about your character. Now. More, right. More than your reputation because your reputation is what people think of you and your character is who you really are. Right. So if you just work on who you really are by being awesome, then everything will fall into place. Doesn't I like that. I like that. What rom-com would you watch, could you watch, over and over without ever getting tired? Well, it's one of my top ten movies, and that would be Annie Hall, for sure. Absolutely. A relationship, I think, is, is like a shark. You know, it has to constantly move forward or it dies. And I think what we got on our hands <clears throat> is a dead shark. There's so, many, so, so much great commentary on relationships. And I, I kind of liken this film to Pulp Fiction and... Stay with me. Stay with me. Yes. In that it's like a series of great scenes that you can just watch one scene and be satiated. And all these scenes are put together, um, you know, to to string a story together. But I think Woody Allen, like, came up with a bunch of bits and put them together with a storyline. And, like, one of my favorites is the split screen when both Diane Keaton and Woody Allen are both um, on the therapist's couch. Mm -hmm. And the therapist says... How often do you have sex? And Woody and Woody's like, oh, hardly ever, like two times a week. And then he asked Diane Keaton. She's like, <laughs> she's like constantly, <laughs> twice a week. So and then there's they run into the people on the street and yes. like, how do you? St- how long have you been married? How do you do it? Well, I'm shallow and she's shallow. And <laughs> before you go, I want to circle back to what we were discussing at the top of the show: that humor is one of the keys to maintaining a successful relationship. So you've been married to Amy for 24 years, but every day can't be in a, a walk in the park, right? Yeah, I think the important thing is to keep your expectations low in a marriage. <laughs> I know she does. We've talked about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I was sitting next to her I was at breakfast the other day, and I was like, you know what? I could be married to you for the rest of my life and not question it. Like, I'm thinking things aren't perfect, but I could find things that aren't perfect with just about anybody. Right. And then... For some reason, I went on to say, but if it didn't work out, I could adjust. Oh, I'm sure that that and that and, well, and you went on and then did you say have a nice day, honey, and take your coffee and leave? I mean, how well, does that work? So being together for 24 years, she's not surprised right. by that kind of thing. Right. But I was trying to. The point I was thinking out loud, trying to make, was that I don't. 
have to be here. I'm here because I want to be here. I don't huh. like I'm I'm not dependent. Like I, I and I really believe I could adjust. Well, you know. Well, what else would we you all do? do? Of course, but I think right with that third point follow up, which is I could be with you for the rest of my life and really be fine. But I really am here because I want to be. So it's not just complacency. Right. And right. yet I know that if something happened, death or divorce, I would adjust. But I'm really glad that I don't have to. Yeah. If she, she looked, called me, I could have done the, the summing up at the end. It probably would have yeah. made for a better she morning. She looked up from her Instagram and fe- feed and said, that sounds healthy. <laughs> and it just went back to what she was doing. Um, so, like, there's a, funny, there's a funny saying that being happily married is like having a shit job where you like the people you work with. It sounds like, no, and if you tell someone who's engaged or someone who's newly married without children, it, it makes them a bit depressed. If you tell a married couple who's been together a long time or a couple are, that has children, they think it's hilarious. Right, they get it. We get it. Yeah, because it takes work. It's, you know, a lot's going to come at you, especially after you have kids. And you need a partner in crime. Yes. And it's really about, it's really about a partnership and working at life with someone totally agree and i again in in my world 24 years is quite an accomplishment so i do i mazel tov to both of you guys from the sounds of it you'll never need it's over easy but if you do or if you have friends that do we're here for you can i say one more thing in parting the you know i had this theory a while back that you should marry someone who you think you can have a happy divorce with we just talked about that with another interviewee last week. I to- and I was once quoted as saying, I would never marry someone I couldn't divorce amicably. And I got all this shit from it, you know, from having said that, particularly from the guy that I was with at the time. But it's really true. You want to know who you're getting into bed with, literally and figuratively. And if you couldn't have a rational, rational amicable dissolution, then right. you shouldn't get into it with them. I always knew with the people that I had kids with, that if things went wrong, and, and they did, or they just kind of came to a, to an end, that we would always be able to co-parent effectively, that we would always yeah. have each other's backs, that we would always be, as they say in, in our tribe, mishpucha, family, and we would always be able to get along. And uh, luckily I was right, and I think that's the same for what you just said about wanting to marry somebody that you could divorce friend, in a friendly yeah. way. It's not cynical. It's not because you're 50% likely to end up that way. It's because if you... If you think you can have a happy divorce with someone, you likely have a strong friendship and a high level of communication, which happens to be the ingredients for an enduring marriage. So if you think you can have a happy divorce with them, you'll probably stay married. Right. And if you can't, then the best we can offer you is to have a, I wouldn't say happy divorce, but an easier divorce so that then you can go on. Again, once the divorce is over, you've still got kids to raise. You may have businesses to run. They don't just go away like, you know, somebody in litigation over a fender bender or something. So if you can then have a better relationship when you're not sitting next to their annoying chew every morning at breakfast, (laughs) then it might be able – you might be able to actually do some real good in terms of co-parenting and making things in your post-marriage relationship thrive. I'm with you. My friend Sean is one of the top marketing executives in the fashion industry. He also has an empathic quality about him that gives him a keen insight into romantic relationships. We hope you can integrate some of what he has to say today as you continue on your own personal journey. We know divorce sucks, whether you're a man or a woman, and yes, even for executives and relationship columnists. Thanks for listening. And I'll leave you all with this quote from my favorite, Ralph Waldo Emerson. To laugh often and much, 
to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to leave the world a better place, to know even one life has breathed easier because you have lived. This is to have succeeded. Peace out.